Welcome to When Pigs Fly. We're uncovering Cincinnati's rich business history from the 1800s to today. We talk to companies to learn the ups and downs of entrepreneurship, what it takes to grow a successful business, and to simply prost to future innovation. I'm one of your co-hosts, Patrick Bailey. And I'm your other co-host, Allie Martin. And today we are talking to founder and CEO of Hydro Labs, Michael Larson. Woo! I know. I'm excited for this because... (laughs) I am too. I like learning about things I don't know much about, and I do not know much about sweat. Amen to that. And I'm just on a crazy hydration kick. I always drink a lot of water anyway, but I've been taking, I don't know about you, Patrick, but I've been taking those liquid IVs and I actually feel better about it, but also I'm retraining for potentially a half marathon again. So getting my body in check there is really relevant, at least personally on my mind. And it's summertime and it's hot and we sweat a lot. So (laughs) I'm not as athletic as you, but I would love it for when I'm hung over the next day to see how hydrated I actually am. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and it's also just really hot in Cincinnati in general and it doesn't help that we're in the valley, but you know what's what's cool too is that this kind of correlates a little bit with the Olympics on the horizon at, because they deal with a lot of athletes. That's who their main main target and audience is right now. Yeah, and did you know that Cincinnati tried to host the 2012 Olympics back? I at did. 2012, they went for they put in a bid for Cincinnati. They actually raised 5.3 million dollars for a bid. And so around the late 1990s and early 2000s, they were trying to get through the through this bid. Obviously, we didn't get it. That went to London, but. Hey, possibilities. It could happen. Yeah, but how cool would that have been to have had all, like, the best athletes in the world, right? We could still dream. We could still dream, and then maybe Hydro Labs could be a sponsor and be helping them, you know, with their health during the games. Yes, 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 yes. (laughs) So before we dive into this conversation with Michael, you know, he comes from a startup background of working for Ekron Systems, which is a startup, a former startup that has since died RIP. Um, yeah. and, it's okay, it uh, happens. Uh, being yeah, an entrepreneur, right? It, it happens, happens. It happens. And he basically took the same IP and is applying it in a different way. So I'm excited yeah. to ask him what his learnings were from that first go around and how he's going to make this next go around different. Heck yeah. Well, with that said, let's bring him in. So, Michael. Welcome to When Pigs Fly. Would love to get a little bit of background on you and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm super excited to be to be chatting with you guys today. You know, so I I've been uh, into entrepreneurship for a long time in and around places. You know, some of the best advice I got early in college was if I wanted to go do a startup, I should go work at somebody else's first. And so my career really started at at Ekron Systems. I started working there when I was a junior in college, when the only other people working there were the founders, uh, Jason and, and Bob. So I was by far the most junior person on the team, kind of just helping You kind of like really actually dove into the, you were almost starting the startup too, even though you gave, you were given the advice to join a startup. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's fair. It was uh, pretty wild times. It was a lot of Zoom calls uh, even then you know, with, mm. with Bob and Jason and, and just trying to figure things out. We were pretty scrappy there in the early days, you know, kind of squatting in lab space at the University of Cincinnati until we started to outnumber grad students. Ekron, you know, at its, at its height was 60 people. 
and I, you know, was mm-hmm. through the whole life cycle, start and finish uh, there. You know, when Ekran closed its doors last year for, for most of the employees, I was at also, a place where uh, I... What do, yeah. And let's tell people what Ekran do, or did. Oh, yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, you know, Ekran Systems was, you know, the world leader in sweat sensing technologies. They dabbled in a number of different market applications for, for sweat sensing. In the early, early days, it was uh, electrolyte measurements, which we thought was interesting for sport application and industrial safety. By the end, we were focused on pharmaceutical monitoring, so measuring the concentrations of pharmaceutical agents or drugs uh, in sweat so that you could do better dosing control and things like that. But, you know, it, it was an incredible idea and a, and a super big vision, you know, that we, we executed on over the course of six or so years which was a really exciting process. Uh, when we when we got into it, we believed that the space was, you know, n- new but relatively mature, and we quickly realized that wasn't true. Um, <laughs> and we had to do a whole lot of uh, inventing and and discovery work that was was extremely challenging uh, over the lifetime of the company. Yeah, what was some of that discovery work that you were trying to dive into there? You know, so I had a conversation with Gabby Bigtrip, the the uh, CEO at Ekren. Uh, you know, early on, and he kind of likened it to, you know, building a three-legged stool. You know, you had, we were doing discovery mm-hmm. on the physiology side of, you know, what even comes out in sweat and how does that work? Uh, we yeah, were doing... How do you even measure that? <laughs> kind of right, gross, right. right. <laughs> yeah, uh, all sorts we'll of challenges. <laughs> right. Yeah, and so we had an exercise bike, you know, in the stairwell in the early days. And, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, tape some, tape some, uh, paper onto somebody and collect sweat that way. Um, <laughs> so that was one leg. Another leg was building, you know, novel sensors, you know, which was helpful at Ekron in building our IP portfolio, but also made it really expensive to go do research mm. and development. And then the third leg was, you know, there's sweat is not a bio, uh, a diagnostic biofluid right now. And so mm. we're trying to figure out, you know, who, who is even going to pay for this sort of stuff and what the market really looks like. You know, it's pretty easy to say from a, the 10,000 foot view that there's clearly value if you can get real time biosensing data of pharmaceutical agents or, or different things. So that's easy to say. But then the challenge comes into who actually is going to pay for it. So when you first started, what was your initial role in like this discovery process? When I first started, I kind of just did whatever anybody told me to do. Mm-hmm. So sometimes that was go read a bunch of papers on uh, the way, you know, different drugs pass across lipid membranes and determine if it comes out in sweat. And that was just kind of guessing and going and reading a bunch of papers and, and putting things together. Can you simplify um, that for those of us that are not like... <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're not biomedical... <laughs> engineering yeah. background. Engineers. <laughs> right, right. So there's, there's like certain, you know, chemical properties or things like that, that you can go find that are that are pretty you know common and accessible and then you read those numbers and see if they fall within some sort of range and do they come out or not and, and really what that was is just a yes no are these things ever going to be possible you know is it is there any potential that they're going to come out and be present in sweat and it's going to be worth you know digging into then how would you apply while you're working there and you're looking through this paperwork and the data and you're putting people, you know, on these bikes in the hallway and, and collecting their sweat, what was the goal? How are you going to apply it? Yeah. What you were finding, your findings? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, this is, 
what you really do is you go and you read a bunch of papers and you come up with some sort of hypothesis, like good scientific studies. You make a guess based on literature. But in science, you have no real idea if that guess is accurate or not. You can read 50 papers and they could all say, yes, this is going to be true. But you don't really know until you go and test. Mm. And so that's where the the actual on-body stuff or, or testing on the bike came in is you sure you can go find a bunch of things that say this thing's going to be present. You don't really know until you go and collect the sample and really find out for yourself. And we, we had all sorts of challenges with that. You know, uh, it's a pretty common thing in science that a, a relatively low percentage of academic papers can actually be replicated. You know, there's a strong incentive to mm. publish and turn yeah. out you know, new novel findings and things. Mm. And that leads to people to publish things that are half-baked or, you know, exaggerate it's the, it's the, the confidence they have. It's the in the science world. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's totally true, you know. We built all sorts of really, really cool sensors, but, you know, our process there was we'd go read 10 papers and we'd try to replicate them. And, you know, three out of the 10 would have similar results to what they published. And the others was crap. They didn't work at all. So did you guys start out looking to start a business or just really just research and more passionate about the science side? So, so Jason has been doing, Jason with Jason Heigenfeld, he's a professor at the University of Cincinnati and really a leader in this type of sensing space. His, his start here starts in, you know, 2013 timeframe, uh, maybe even earlier with the Air Force. They were looking at doing electrolyte measurements and sweat rate measurements for pilots. Uh, and they pretty quickly realized that, you know, the university isn't going to be the right group to go commercialize technology. Um, they're just not going to move fast enough. There's not the right incentives and things like that there. And so Akron was kind of born out of that of, you know, we believe that there was a huge commercial opportunity there and there had to be a company stood up to go do it. So did you guys own the IP at first or did the university and the professor own all that IP starting out? Akron throughout its lifetime had a really close relationship with the University of Cincinnati. We licensed a lot of that IP. Mm. So this is kind of a basic question, too, and, and we'll get to Hydro Labs as well here, which in a yeah. second. But talk about why collecting all this data and doing all this research is important, because I think from an entrepreneurial perspective, you know, we keep getting told that underlying message of, you know, if there's a problem, go and solve it. It almost feels backwards to me as if you're like searching for a problem, which isn't a bad thing, I guess. I don't know. But talk about why this research then is important. I think, I, you know, honestly, if I'm very honest with you, I think Akron ran into a big problem there. You know, we mm. spent a lot of time and a, and a lot of money doing research in search of problems. And I, I think that was a challenge for us is, you know, we had really cool technology. We had this really robust IP portfolio. You know, we had the team. If you go down the startup ideal mm -hmm. checklist, yeah. you know, we hit a lot of them. Um, <laughs> and the big problem we had was, we didn't know what our problem was. We had a was you didn't know the problem, <laughs> right? Um, That's a problem, we, right? Right. We had a had a big picture on what the problem was, but when the in the details is where we started to struggle on some of those things. Um, and there are other challenges too around all this stuff, but that that was that was a big challenge for us. So you guys, you said earlier, you guys kind of switched from focusing on figuring out what comes out of your sweat to like medicine popping out of like your sweat as well. Why that change? Why that shift? It was that because of your learnings or you guys thought, oh, this is cool. 
you know, we were a very data-driven company. So everywhere we tried to go, we did, you made those decisions based on findings and actual information that we had. We let a lot of our decisions be technology-driven. So we believed going after pharmaceuticals would be easier from a technology perspective, as well as would have a large, you know, there's a good value proposition there. You know, we had a discovery that, you know, our technology was a relatively expensive to manufacture, which means it would be expensive to sell, which means we need to hit a high price point. So that, that led us to medical as well. I guess then that leads to the next question. Were you getting interest from pharmaceutical companies, the military and all these different things, and they're wanting different things. And I guess the next part of that question is why didn't they then buy it? Right. We had lots of interest around the space. You know, at times that was probably challenging for us because, you know, it meant we were trying to build a solution that potentially solved multiple problems, um, which could lead to some distractions and it could be challenging. You know, from a did they buy it? We did have, uh, you know, investment. We had uh, grants and things like that. So in that sense, they bought it. You know, we had we had a long way to go still from a technology perspective before these products were, you know, on the shelf or could be acquired. So what, where, I guess, what was that long way to go? I mean, I'm just asking partially because I was a guinea pig being full disclosure to our audience. I was a guinea pig. Were you for on the, the bike? Sp- oh, I was on the bike. You were on the, you didn't say this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> they should have just built a hamster wheel and I would have been just as happy. Oh, um, <laughs> no wonder why you I, don't like soul cycle. <laughs> Uh, I definitely was the one on the bike for like two hours and getting my sweat tested. And it was a pretty big, bulky thing, not going to lie. So I guess like, is that what was one of the challenges to where you guys wanted to go? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the thing that you're speaking about specifically was for more industrial safety kind of product line. So that was before our, you know, our more pharmaceutical monitoring and our pivot to that direction. We had a few different challenges there. You know, what I what I would say at this point is that, like, we were a little early in that space. You know, there have been some recent, you know, third party literature or like academic findings that solve some of the problems that we ran into there. So we pivoted away because we thought, you know, that wasn't it wasn't going to work. And there are potentially some findings now that maybe seem like that would be more interesting now. But Okay, so that was roughly like a six-year span, right? And then once you personally decided to pivot away, let's talk about your transition into Hydro Labs. First, tell us what Hydro Labs is, and then because we have now this this background, what did you take from that and apply, and and how are you applying it to Hydro Labs? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Hydro Labs does data-driven hydration guidance. We threw that through a wearable patch. Um, it's super simple. It's not anywhere near as bulky as what uh, Patrick wore um, <laughs> in, in the old days. You know, so it's like a Band-Aid. You wear it on your forearm. It tells you how much fluid you lost when you were sweating. And we can guide people in appropriate hydration from it. You know, there's clearly some some carryover from Ekron still being in a sweat space and things. You know, quite quite frankly, the the biggest learning that we kind of had was you know, there was no way we were going to be able to go raise another $20 million and build a super high tech, really, really deep company like like that again. So we took a pretty reductive approach, you know, trying to strip away a lot of the complexity and get down to what was really, really simple and we believed was the most ready to commercialize. 
at Ekron, we spent a lot of time trying to, you know, bridge a really, really deep valley of technical challenges and market problems and everything like that. So we tried to go someplace where we didn't believe the technology challenges were as hard and we believed a market would be easier to get to. Were there any IP issues? Because I was just what I said. <laughs> great minds think alike, Ali. Uh, you know, coming from Ekron, or because Ekron was licensing from somebody else, you just had to license from that other person as well. Yeah, you're right. You're right in the latter case. So um, we were lucky that the specific technologies we were interested in, we could get access to through the University of Cincinnati. And when you decided, kind of really not by choice, but to make this a more simple process, has that benefited the end product and your day-to-day? Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. You know, we it, it, the biggest thing that I really wanted to do was figure out a way to get something in the hands of potential customers as soon as possible um, yeah. and then be able to learn directly from them. So basically day one working on this project, I went back to the same lab I squatted in at Ekron <laughs> um, all the way back in 2014, put some things together, uh, called up a buddy and we went out on bikes and tested it out, you know, same day. And that that's pretty much been the story of the last year, year and a half is quick iterations, close to customers, test things. I think that's the beauty of of this journey, right? And and entrepreneurship in general. You can start out with an idea or you think there might be a problem, but you're going to constantly grow. And I think these are actually the stories that people don't hear all the time. And that's a big reason also why we want to tell them because it is very prevalent. You're probably, on average, you're probably not going to knock it out of the park right away the first time around. So with that said, with this new product that you have, who are you catering to? What does that look like? Yeah. So, you know, we're trying to stay pretty focused to begin with. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so we're looking at, you know, who has the highest need, who's the biggest problems with hydration and where can we solve that problem? And for us, that really looks like endurance athletes. Every college student. Yeah. (laughs) Didn't drink water for four years. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. uh, But maybe that's not quite your target market. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, we, we like uh, endurance athletes. They sweat a lot. They yeah. don't necessarily know how much to drink and they care a lot about uh, physical performance, which hydration hurts. So we are dehydration hurts their physical performance. So that seems like a very interesting first target. We know that there's good application in you know industrial workforce you know, from our experience at Ekron. Uh, but we've also had you know, independently conversations with with different groups around that, too. So let's say an athlete uses this then, right? What is th- the end goal, I guess? How, how, does, how does it work? And then what is an athlete trying to achieve? Yeah, so they would wear the patch, go do their exercise, get a measurement, and it would let them know, you know how much they should be consuming. Uh, and it helps them really optimize their training. You know, to tell you a, a quick story, early on this process, we did a lot of customer discovery. You know, so I talked to 20 or so endurance athletes and almost every single one had a story about how they were racing or they were doing a long training ride and they got an hour in or two hours in and they're like about ready to collapse. You know, they're super dehydrated. They have no idea what they should be doing. They pull over to a gas station and chug a gallon of water uh, and then they get back going. And, you know, the reason why they get to those places is because they really just don't know how much they should be drinking. 
Well, and I think that's interesting too, because everyone's built differently, right? All of our bodies are different and we all need to hydrate in a different way. But I also, I'm thinking of like our glucose levels and everything. So is it also tracking more than, you know, just the water that's and the sweat that's coming out of our bodies? Yeah. So that's, that's a, I'll address the question first, but then I think that actually is an awesome segue into another thing I'd love to say on this stuff. So, yeah. you know, first, all we do is measure fluid loss via sweating. Okay, um, so we don't measure the other things. And do you see it all over the board? Uh, sweat rates? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All over the place. Okay. All over the place. And the fascinating thing about the sweat rates is, you know, almost everybody thinks they're super sweaty. You know, you talk mm-hmm. to somebody, they're like, oh, yeah, I break a sweat immediately. I'm super sweaty. They have no idea. Nobody has any understanding like, how much. Right. <laughs> I have test results. <laughs> right. Right. I'll tell you whether or not I you are or not. <laughs> right. Right. But yeah, you know, back to your question on glucose, you know, that yeah. that kind of line of questioning, I think, was part of the challenge at Ekron is throughout the whole lifetime of the company. We got questions like that, you know. Yeah, maybe we're less interested in this, but if you could do that, mm. we'd be really, really interested in. And we were a whole bunch of really smart scientists and engineers. And so then we immediately start thinking about, you know, how do we achieve that? How do we go measure glucose or, or other things? And a lot of those things ended up being, you know, places where we thought there might be an easy answer, mm. but then it wasn't so easy. And then it really wasn't so easy. And now we're, you know, a year down the line and it all was very hard. In the strategy with this new company, it's a lot of times it's saying like, we could do that in the future with more money and revenue from sales. Uh, and it may be a place that we go, but we're going to focus on, you know, what we know we can do right now and maybe do those other things later. So is it just you right now or is there a team of y'all? Because you definitely seem like the technical guy, but are you now also the business guy too? If, you know, you're starting back from square one. So we do have a team. There's a few different people that work on this. We've been partnering with the CEO and president from Infinite Nutrition. Mm. Um, they're a company here in Cincinnati that does precision uh, hydration and nutrition. A really, really cool product. They, you know, they're not Gatorade, but they compete in that sort of area. And so he's been helping a lot with how we position to the market and, and access to those customers. Jason is on the team. Jason Heigenfeld was a co-founder at Ekron, is a co-founder with us at, at Hydro Labs. And then there's a few other folks that are helping us actually build this thing and, and get it out there. So what is your role now specifically in the company? Yeah, I'm I'm the CEO. So I do do some of the business stuff. I still do quite a bit of the technical work too. And we're so early stage that, I, you know, I'm doing a lot of this stuff, you know, <laughs> from writing lines of code and testing products on myself to going out and talking to customers. Startup. Yeah, so I guess, how, how are you getting it out there then? How are you marketing this? Yeah. Initially, we've been using, you know, piloting through teams and camps and that kind of thing. So, you know, triathletes will go to training camps. We'll reach out to the camp and talk to them about trying the product out and getting it to them. And then they'll test it on their athletes and we'll mm-hmm. provide them with some information. They'll give us feedback kind of thing. I guess. I, and when I said I, I wanted to backtrack a little bit, I still am kind of fascinated about the actual application of this. So once you collect the data of an athlete, how then, because once we, we've also established that there's we're not really talking about glucose levels and some of those other intricacies, how then do you apply as an athlete to say, okay, so I have this data, what do I do with it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, our initial product gives information on what they, like how much they should drink, 
when they should drink it, and those sorts of things. We see that as really being, you know, three phases of the way an athlete prepares for an activity. So first, there's the preparation, obviously. So they need to know how much they should be bringing with them if they're self-supporting. Once they're actually performing, they need to know how much to consume along the way. You know, making sure they're staying on tap, but their hydration throughout. And then at the end, there's an important recovery piece as well. You know, you want to make sure that you maximize the gains from whatever that training event was or so you're ready for the next time. And the only way you can do that is by appropriately replacing the fluids you lost. And so we get that kind of guidance, too. What kind of sales channels are you going through? Is this all mostly online or is this like a exporting goods? There you go. Yeah, so we, we are not actively selling quite yet. Uh, we will hopefully be commercially available, you know, in the next couple of months. We have two different strategies for that. There's the B2C, which we'll do online, you know, buy off our website, buy off of Amazon kind of thing. But then we'll also do, you know, B2B to C, and that'll be sales to coaches, nutritionists, or sales through uh, partnerships like we have with Infinite Nutrition. What's the biggest hurdle then, I guess, getting to the market and selling? Is it, are there any regulations you need to follow? Because this is like kind of somewhat health-related? So so long as we uh, are very clear that this is, uh, you know, a health and wellness and not a medical device and we're not diagnosing anything, uh, that certainly helps us from a regulation perspective. You know, our biggest hurdles are just having a product that, you know, we're proud of and we're ready to put out and start asking people to pay us for. And that's the piece that we're still working on a little bit. When someone wears the patch, in order to get that information how is it through an app? Is it through what? No, no, that? it's through an app. So the okay. measurement of the patches is, is done with a smartphone camera. And so they relay all that information to the athlete uh, through an app. You know, that helps us with your question earlier about, you know, what kind of information can we provide them and all of those things? Mm-hmm. You know, we can do a lot of education and support uh, through the app. And so do you, co- you then collect that data from that athlete? Right, right. So the, the yeah, we, we collect all that information. We believe in the long yeah. term, we'll be able to do some really interesting digital only solutions from the data and information. That we're yeah, collecting. I was just about to ask, what are you going to do with that data? Are you selling it to someone yeah. or are you just like storing it? And has that been an issue for people? <laughs> right, yeah. So we, we definitely aren't selling it for ads or marketing or anything like That's that. Good. Right, right. Yeah, zero intention of that. You know, our, our intention here really is to provide the best product we can for athletes and the general population. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is by looking at lots of data that's been anonymized and everything like that. But it helps us better approximate and, and make estimations for folks. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, like we wear Apple watches and we've given our soul to Google and everything. So and it tells us when we need to get up and move and our heart rate. So I, <laughs> I don't think this is going to be an issue. Let's put it that way there. Yeah, that, that's this that's definitely the standard model and wearables that you collect mm-hmm. a lot of this information so long as you're not selling it for advertising purposes and so long as it's appropriately anonymized, that's fine. So how are you guys funding this and keeping this going? Are you getting investment? Are you going for grants? Yeah. What are you doing? Yeah, um, we've received some grants. You know, honestly, we've been mostly bootstrapped. I'm not taking a salary, so I'm working a lot on this stuff. We're trying to stay pretty scrappy. Mm. That helps us build our value. So, you know, we reach a higher initial valuation and it helps reduce the amount of dilution. But yeah, certainly most of it's been grants so far. Do you think there are other audiences out there that you're not tapping into for this? 
Uh, by audiences, do you mean like markets or do you mean for yeah. fundraising? Uh, I guess, well, since you bring it up, I guess both. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you know, certainly. Um, I think both is is totally right. You know, the from a market perspective, mm-hmm. we've had good conversations with a few different industrial companies, you know, companies that are doing things like strip mining. So they have a whole bunch of people that are out in hot, uh, humid yeah, environments yeah. doing manual labor. And so we've had some initial calls and done some demos with those folks. They seem very interested. You know, we're not pursuing those things aggressively because they can become distractions. You know, if we build a product for them, does it match, you know, our, our, right. And so that kind of comes back to that whole ethos uh, that we started Hydro Labs with of how do we keep it as simple as possible. From a fundraising perspective, you know, we've talked to a few different comp- uh, groups and had had some luck, but there's definitely, we could definitely be broader uh, with the net that we're casting. Again, that's probably another focus place too. We've had conversations with people that we believed were really, you know, we believed were most likely, and we've been kind of triaging that down. So there's others that we'll have conversations with too. So do you think Cincinnati is the place to develop a product like this? That's a great question and one that I'm still trying to figure out the answer to. Hmm. Yeah, I've, I've gotten feedback before that maybe Cincinnati isn't the right place uh, hmm. to build a product like this. And, you know, I'd, I'd really like to build it here. Um, I would like to hmm. keep the, uh, you know, the dream from Ekron kind of alive a little bit in Cincinnati. And so that's what I've been trying to do. But yeah, certainly it might make sense. Would you switch gears if it came to it? And what potentially could that situation look like? We, we certainly could switch gears if it came to that. I think the big thing, you know, where we're at today with fundraising, we're not struggling so much that we're desperate. You know, we believe we can continue to make progress. Our hope is that we'll be generating revenue and that'll help fuel some of our growth. And then from that, we'll be able to achieve some of that investment. So how do you feel about where you are with everything right now and all of your experience through all this research? You know, I feel... I feel pretty good about as good as I think I can. Yeah. Um, yeah you know, <laughs> as an entrepreneur, yeah. <laughs> as an entrepreneur, that's exactly right. You know, I. No, not a stressful day. <laughs> right, right. That's totally true. Yeah, you know, I feel pretty good. We, I'm incredibly proud of the technical accomplishments we've been able to make. Yeah. Um, we've done a lot with not a whole lot, uh, which I, I love and I'm excited by. I'm super uh, optimistic and excited about some of our future partnerships in the athletics markets. I think we have some very interesting things that we're going to be able to go do there. And, you know, I'm I'm thrilled to be close to customers, too. I love putting devices on folks and getting feedback that, you know, they like the data they're getting and that they find it really interesting. And I like hearing stories about where it's improved outcomes for folks, Mm. you know, where they right. I, I, you know, I really like that sort of stuff. So all of that's been awesome. You know, there's obviously the hard part of, you know, we're, we're bootstrapped, which really means yeah. Michael doesn't take a paycheck <laughs> and things like that. And so that's certainly stressful and, and obviously the hardest part of all this stuff. Now, yeah. what kind of gaps do you think and challenges you will face in the near future? All sorts, um, all sorts. So the biggest one, a lot of them sit on the fundraising side of things, too. You know, there's this real risk that we launch and we are successful and then we don't have the money to grow. I think that'd be a good problem to have because that seems like a, a relatively easy place to go raise money. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have more demand than you can meet and then you go find uh, you know, investment dollars through that. Um, so that's certainly you know, one challenge we might face. We're doing a fair amount of the manufacturing ourselves. 
And so scaling that up is is a challenge as well. You know, we can reach reach a certain capacity, but at a certain point, we'll need to really step that up pretty significantly. Uh, and that'll have costs associated with it as well. So is it all manufactured here in the Midwest? Yeah, here in Cincinnati. Oh, wow. That's wild. So if you had to upscale, what would that potentially look like? Or do you not know yet? It, it kind of depends on what level of scaling up we have to do. You know, if we know yeah. that we need to make a jump from, you know, 10,000 units of product to a million units of product a month, that looks like finding somebody else to make it for us who really yes. knows how to do that. Yeah. If if we're growing at a, at a more reasonable level, then it, it means, you know, continued work on setting up our own manufacturing. You know, owning that uh, means we carry more of the value add, which helps us maintain profitability, which is helpful for, you know, self-funding and, and reinvesting into the business. Um, but certainly, you know, we couldn't make the leap from 10,000 to a million without, yeah, without yeah. significant <laughs> capital investment. I, I don't think either one of us asked this, but how much does one of those little patches, how much does it cost? Our sale price that we're targeting would be about $5 per patch. Um, mm-hmm. We'd sell them in a pack of four for $20. And is it recommended to to use, how often should somebody use them to feel like they're getting the best results in order for them to apply it to um whatever it is that they're active with. Right. You know, we would say that you need to wear the patch in, you know, different weather conditions as you become more acclimatized. So changes in your activity level or the conditions Mm. that you're exercising in, it kind of really depends on the individual. If you're a multi-sport athlete, you're playing soccer, running, biking, then you might need a few packs of four. If you're somebody who always runs every morning at 7 a.m. and it's cool, and you only ever run, then you might get away with just one four pack. So what keeps you what keeps you going every day as an entrepreneur? I think this stuff's super exciting. It gives me an incredible opportunity to try new things, to put myself into places where I'm you know uncomfortable, uh, that are outside yeah. of my comfort zone, and really Growth. you know right grow and challenge myself. You know that was my favorite part of the early days at Ekron. You know, I'd get an email from somebody and they'd say, hey, go look into something that I never even thought about before. <laughs> and now I got to go try to be uh, at least a pseudo expert in the thing. Uh, I, I love that kind of stuff. And I get to do that here. And I like that. So I think that leads to my, you know, last question for me. Your favorite question. <laughs> <laughs> I love this question. What have you learned from your journey and what advice can you give, you know, startup founders? And yeah. you're starting and you're starting self. Like if you were to go back and be like, ah, I wish I could give myself this mm, advice. Yes. If I would have known, what would it be? Yeah. I think, you know, honestly, I'd say you start with what's easy and build momentum off of that. Everything's mm. hard and everything's harder than we <laughs> think it is. So starting there, I think is important. You know, if I, I have different advice for myself, if, <laughs> if you know, if I could go back and talk to myself um, a year and a half ago. I would tell myself it's going to take a lot longer than you think it is. Mm. Uh, that's what I would tell myself. That's a great thought to end on, too. Yes. Well, thank you, Michael. Uh, it was great talking with you. Awesome. It was great talking to you guys. Thanks for inviting me on. 
Wow, that was a great conversation with Michael of Hydro Labs. I feel like uh, I need to go drink a glass of water. <laughs> <laughs> you go do that because I know you're on this huge hydration I'm kick. I'm on the hydration kick. Well, that's, <laughs> that's my thought process behind this. I think he's in an interesting market because overall, I think we are much more health in tune and health conscious. So I think there will continue to be a market for products like this because we, at least I know for myself and from, from friends and family who I speak with, we want to know more about our biological makeup and, and why we move and why we feel the way we do and just way more in tune, I think, from a health perspective. And I think that's why as an athlete too and beyond an athlete, there are other markets, um, that the, this product could be very valuable. Just overall understanding of one's body, yes. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, my biggest takeaway was the kiss rule. Ali, do you know what the kiss rule is? Um, I'm, I don't know what the band just came right to my mind. <laughs> Keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> Which they're the total opposite. That is <laughs> definitely the, the opposite of the kiss rule. Um, <laughs> so yeah, no, he basically took this technology from a business that, you know, wanted to have these big, hairy, audacious goals and it's great. Mm -hmm. And it came from a university technology, you know, IP background. The growth. Yeah. yeah. And so he's like, you know what? I'm going to take it back to its roots and strip mm. it and take it down to the most simple form this technology can be used in. And I'm going to take it to market. The kiss rule. I like that. And knowing as an entrepreneur, I love that final thought that he had that it takes time. Right. So he, he was almost forced to simplify because for, but for six years, he was able to build a foundation of knowledge that isn't, it's not, it's not considered a failure. It's just growth. And he was able to expand on what he's doing now. That's, to me, that is the best part of what he's doing. That's huge. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs forget that, you know, like mm -hmm. if your company doesn't work out, you've learned so much. Pivot. Yeah. And he, he pivoted. Yeah, and he pivoted and he's applying it into this new form and this new idea. And, you know, I think that they have an opportunity here and I'm excited to see where they go. And for sure, maybe Allie, you'll be using this <laughs> and buying this in the stores I in the know, near future. <laughs> I feel the need. I want to know how much I sweat now. <gasps> Ew, I bet, it, I bet it's a lot. <laughs> I, uh, that's that's for another day. <laughs> anyway, on, on that note, Allie, yeah. I think it's time to cheers. <laughs> cheers. And here's some necessary legal stuff. Allie Martin and Patrick Bailey developed the When Pigs Fly podcast in collaboration with the Up Company LLC. At the time of this recording, we do not own equity or any financial interest in the companies which appear on the show unless otherwise indicated. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinions of the EW Scripts company and its affiliates or Generator Management LLC and its affiliates or any entity which employs us. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. We have not considered your specific financial situation nor provided any investment or legal advice on the show. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. We also want to give a shout out to Claire and Christian of Moonbow. They're the two artists of our intro song, which is so catchy and gets stuck in our heads all the time. So bop over to Spotify or wherever you find your music and give them a listen. And Like the Night by Moonbow is courtesy of Silver Lake Sync. <laughs>